You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Keep standing if you're able to for the reading of God's Word, or if you need to close your eyes and sit, do that. But I want you to hear this reading from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he's lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purposes of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel and goodness of his will, so that we, who are the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of his promised Holy Spirit, This is the pledge of our inheritance toward the redemption of God's own people to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. It's been said that high school is boring. I've heard it many times. I've said it a time or two myself. In fact, I've even said When are we ever going to use this stuff? Are we going to use these formulas? Do I really need to remember this? And I know, I know. As much as every teacher that stands before you wants wants you to believe that their class is the most important class, that this assignment is the most pivotal one, the most weighted one, it's easy to wonder really what is the purpose. And I've kind of been thinking about this especially related to high school, because as much as one might say high school is boring, I might say high school can be forgotten. I mean, there's so much about high school that fades away, that disappears. Uh, Back in the fall, I ran across just different notes and files that I had from high school, all kinds of things. Whenever you translate floppy drives onto a computer, you find all kinds of stuff. Well, I couldn't believe some of the relationships, some of the, the things that I was working on. I, I would not have remembered hardly any of them with what, without having come across those particular files. And I think that as much as these things might be significant, the formulas, maybe it's not so much about memorizing that formula, but it's about how it teaches you to live how to learn, what it teaches you about how to adapt, 
what high school teaches you, or, or any school for that matter, about how to relate to other people. Whether you're in kindergarten or college, whether you're fighting your way through middle school or you're a sophomore, these things that seem so significant, the fights that we have, the teachers that are hard, the relationships that seem so tough, in time will be forgotten. And what's important is how they build us almost like little building blocks into a different person. These decisions that we make at any point of our life that disappear into the woodwork and yet shape us for who we are. I don't really know what causes us to remember things, but one of the things that I, I remember distinctly from high school was a video. It was called The Powers of Ten. Now, I didn't know what it was called. I had to Google it, something I could not do in high school. This video goes all the way back to 1977. It was created by IBM. I want to show you an updated version, but I'd encourage you, if you've got time this week, go back and watch the nine-minute video, Powers of Ten. I want to get this video started, this newer one. In this video, it gives you great perspective. Powers of Ten starts off by looking at a couple that's on a blanket, a 10 by 10 square. And it begins to pan backward. It starts with 10 feet. And then it moves all the way to 10 billion light years away. And it provides perspective of what each move is with just a power of 10. So here we're already at 10,000 kilometers, 100,000 kilometers, a million kilometers flowing not just past that girl laying in the grass, but past continents and seeing the earth far off in the distance. Here at one billion kilometers, we begin to see all the different planets. And it provides such amazing perspective and space. The sun disappears as one part of our entire galaxy, 10 light years away. And this video will go all the way, so far away, 50 billion light years away. And when you get this kind of perspective, it just, I love it. I love thinking about where we're at in this world. It makes us begin to see that we're surrounded and in an amazing world. And yet we also have a world that's within us. Now it's making the journey back, a journey back from 50 billion light years away, back to the girl that's laying in the grass, but it's going to keep going this time, to go even into her eye and into the universe that is within her own body. We're going faster now, getting closer and closer, seeing how each one of us is composed of more than just our face. When I see these things, it's humbling. In a lot of ways, I feel insignificant. Like, who am I to be in this place? And at other times, it makes me feel important that, wow, I am a part of this. As much as we're in this universe of, of stars and galaxies and planets, we also are ourselves a universe of atoms and cells. 
And God has created a plan to unite all things together in Christ. Everything that we see in this video, the bigness of it, down to the smallness of it, to bring all of those things together in Christ. The zooming in and zooming out on our lives of this video leads me to a question of wondering, well, who's in? Who's in? I mean, that's the title of where I want to go today with Ephesians chapter 1. Who's in? And, and since we're relating this to God, a lot of times when people think about God, it raises up all of their experiences of God. Like, is God setting up all of these rules of how we might be in relationship with God? Is relationship with God all about the people that follow God? Is it about the places where they gather to worship? And, and whether or not you're comfortable being with God or friendly with those who claim to follow God or uncomfortable in those places where people gathered might say something about whether or not you want to even ask a question like that of who's in. I want us to look at a story today. It's a story that we began last week that's inviting us into the God Project. And it's a story about a guy named Paul. Paul was a Jew with a very clear picture of the world. He understands that God rules the universe. And he was not originally in as a selected apostle or disciple of Jesus. He believed that God ruled and that Jesus was a threat. That Jesus threatened God's rule. That he was providing counter-information, heresy. And he began persecuting, even killing those that claimed the name of Jesus. That is, until after Jesus' death and resurrection, he met Jesus. Jesus came to him and stopped him in a perspective-altering, life-bending circumstance where his whole world was turned upside down. Paul, this opponent, becomes an apostle, a disciple of Jesus, one who's adopted in. And his view of the world was pretty clear up to this point. There were people that were in, like him, and there were people on the outside. The people who were in were the Jews. They were the people of promise. They were the ones that God had given the law to, given the covenant to, the ones that God said he was going to bless. And then there were those on the outside, the nations, the Gentiles. In other words, those who were not Jews those who were not on the inside. And Paul's world was very clear about who was in and who was out. But when Jesus shows up, it's almost as if Jesus throws a wrench into his worldview, into his perspective. It breaks the lens that he has, alters it, changes what he has been doing to prepare himself to this point, his job, his career, his way of looking at other people forever was transformed. I think it's maybe the same for us whenever we think about people that are followers of God. Or we're aware of who those people are, the places that they gather, the rules that they follow. But is that something that we're a part of? And I want to provide kind of a God's eye view to, to pan backwards and see this story in a way that causes us to gasp a little bit, to stand in awe of where we're at in this world. And ask this question of who is in. And I want to ask it in two ways. The, the first way is who is in, as in who's included 
That's kind of what we want to know is, are we in? Are we on the team or are we on the bench? Are we making the grade or are we going to have to take this course again? Who's in? Who, who are these people? If you look in Ephesians chapter 1, in the first few verses, 3 and following, we find some amazing things about these insiders. They are chosen. Chosen in Christ to be blessed. They are giving every spiritual blessing. They are destined. There's that destiny word. Destined for adoption as those who are in Jesus Christ. Over and over again, we're called into this life of redemption. And we're like, okay, is, is this me? Am I included? Am I in? If we think about children, we've got a lot of young babies around first. We've got some new babies that are coming our way that we're praying for. But if we think about these youngest that are among us, how long does it take before they, they know who they are? To know whose they are? To know who their parents are or what their identity is? It takes kind of a long time, doesn't it? I mean, a child begins to recognize and be able to make eyes very quickly with those that spend the most time with them. But when do they really know what their place is in this world? How do they begin to recognize their life and begin to fit in? Well, in these verses and in this passage, especially in verse 4 and 5, we get these words of blessed and chosen and destined and redeemed, and we wonder if that's us. One more verse to look at is verse 11. In Christ, we obtain an inheritance. We're destined according to God's purpose to accomplish His will. When we look at this, it's really easy to hear the question I've asked, who's in, as an exclusive question. That there are clear people who are in and clear people who are out, and to feel like there is a separation, like you can't be on the inside. I want us to look at that different. Not just who's in from an exclusionary standpoint, but who's in? Who chooses to be a part of this group of people? Who is a part of the inside? Because they're living that way, drawn into this work that God is doing. And I want to do that by looking at election. Election is a, a topic that sometimes... Christians like to go to, but when outsiders hear it, it makes them quite fearful because it doesn't seem like they're on the inside. I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. How can I be a part of this? The thing with this question is asking not just who's in, as if God is excluding and pushing people away, but who is choosing to live in. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about election with three or four things. Three are going to come in the negative. Because you have to kind of know what something is not in order to know what it is. And then I'll give one that I'll state more in the positive, okay? So first, the negatives. When we talk about election, we're not talking about a division between a righteous few over and against the majority of humans. That God somehow excludes the majority of people. That's not what this God project is all about. And today, I'm going to kind of give you a lot of scripture. We're going to go in a lot of different places. Not many billions of light years like we've done in the video, but still a lot of scriptures. God's intention is all. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, 
2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. God's desire is he wants to be the Savior of all. He longs for all to be saved, to come to know the truth. And that all means all. God's desire is for all to be saved. Now, you might think it's just there. We could look to another place in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So we've done 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3 through 4, and now we're in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. A lot of folks stick back and wonder, well, when is God going to show up and take care of things? Why doesn't God fix things? In 2 Peter 3, it says that God is slow because he wants all to come to repentance. God is waiting and waiting so that all will come in. Now you hear these passages about God's intention for all to be saved and God's intention for more and more to repent. And you might think that's a New Testament idea, that that sounds more like Jesus. Well, in the Old Testament, it's there as well. In Psalm 67, you could read the first five verses of Psalm 67, but here in that passage, it's God's saving power that's intended for all nations. Realize this is a song that Jews are singing, and what they're singing is for all nations to come to know faith, that that's what this is about. Now, whenever we hear these passages, it, it reaches a crescendo of what God's project is all about, that God wants all to be saved. Well, there's another part of this, that when we look at what God is doing in this joyous opportunity of drawing people to him to be elect, there are some that choose not to come into this. There are some that, because God has given us free will, say, that's not for me. I don't want to be connected to that project. And God, in his mercy and graciousness, allows us to make that decision, allows us to choose not to join with him. It's not God's choice. God has not chosen to reject. God's plan from the beginning of time is that all might come to faith. Well, that's one, one negative. It's not about a few righteous against a mass a majority that aren't allowed in. And second, it's not about individual election. It's about corporate election. What I mean by this is that God is not the big micromanager in the sky, determining everything that you do, predestining your every step. God is not acting in that way. God is calling you into this group of people with gifts that are shared with one another. Whenever we choose that we don't want to be a part of what God's doing, I've already said we get disconnected from God. And when we make that choice, we're being disconnected from the life that God offers. It's almost like choosing to just hold our breath. I'm not going to breathe anymore. Or choosing not to eat. I just don't want to eat anymore. If we choose to disconnect ourselves from things that give life, we will find death. Because where God is not present is death. And that is our choice. That is a place that we can go. But it's not God sitting up in the sky, micromanaging us, directing every move that we make, electing us for either good or for bad. All right, so that's two. We've got one more, a third one, that's in the negative. 
and a fourth one that's positive. Election is not about privilege. Election's not about privilege, it's about responsibility. It's not a game of saying these are the people that are inside, that have the force field of God around them, who could just do whatever they wish, who can play that like a wild card in their life. That totally misses the point of being chosen, of being blessed. That misses the point of being drawn into what God is doing. Because God's intention is forgiveness and redemption. And he has set this world on a path, on a track that's going where he intends for it to go. And we can choose to get off. We can choose to not be a part of that. And the end result of that is death. But it's not his intention. His intention is to bring life, to be a group of people that are seeking God, that are living in the way of God to live into the point of deeper relationship with God. Over and again, even in this chapter, it describes what our purpose is, that we live to the praise of His glory. It's in verse 12, it's in verse 14, it's in verse 6, that we are to live to the praise of His glory, drawing others, putting away our former life, like he says in chapter 4, verse 21, 22. Saying it even again in verse 25, putting away the older self so that we can speak truth to others. The fourth thing is positive. And I've already said it a few times. It comes in verse 7, that God intends to redeem us. His intentions towards us are forgiveness and drawn into salvation to lavishly pour over us His grace and His mercy. Because the, our destiny is the same as the destiny of others, what he wants. That all would find their fulfillment and their fullness in God. Our destiny, our direction is set. It is in Christ, finding our way through this life in love. It's a process of really becoming our best self whenever we are in Christ. Of letting go of those things that are not in Christ. It's a path of being holy and blameless. Now, don't get the wrong idea uh, around it first. We're not all holy and blameless. We don't have it all together. In fact, if you look at any one of us, we, are not, we have not arrived. We are on the path of becoming holy, on the path of becoming blameless, something that God is doing in us. It's easy for us in all these grand discussions that Ephesians lays out to overlook, to overlook the life that we've been given, to overlook all the things that God gives to us that we really don't have any control over at all. Did you get to choose to be born? Did you select your parents from a basket of options? No. Did we get to pick our bodies or, or how we've been made? No, these things are, are given to us as a gift. And I want you to know that that gift from God, who you are, even though we try to alter it, change it, deny it, let other people tell us who we are, I want you to know that who you are is someone that's loved by God deeply, and that you are good, and that you're being called into a process, a path, a project that God is doing in this whole world of gathering up all things in Christ. So when we talk about election, we're not, we're not trying to talk about some 
great puzzling mind bender. We're talking about something that draws us into worship and praise and wonder to give thanks to God for what he's given us. You know, that video makes us feel so small. Makes us feel like we're just a tiny, tiny part of what God is doing. And that's true. And the question about are you in is not meant to be a question of exclusion. That you're not in. It's a question that's an invitation. An inviting, are you in with what God is doing in this world? You know, these videos where we pan back and see the world as it is. To see not only the building blocks of our bodies, but the building blocks of our lives. The experiences and the relationships, many of which will be forgotten and left behind. Those choices and those decisions have some influence in making us who we are. Or we're learning through relationship, how to be who we are. And I want you to know that in the God Project, the best way to learn that is in relationship with God. I want to overwhelm you with one more set of verses. I know I've, I've, I've spoken out a lot of verses today, but I want these to wash over you as you hear how God's fullness is intended to be in this world. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 10, it lays out God's plan of gathering up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. And down in verse 23, in Christ, he is over all and fills all. In chapter 4 and verse 6, there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. And that's how we can get to chapter 6, verse 23, where we're able to share with others, to share with our neighbors, to share with the people that we know, that we seek and offer grace to everyone who has an undying love for Christ. It takes my breath away to think about what God has made and all the things that we will not see. This project that he invites us in is one that everyone is invited into. And I want you to hear that clearly, that you are included in this work that God is doing, a work where God is wrapping up all things in Christ. Let's give him thanks. Let's pray. God, we are blown away by the bigness of your universe, the vastness of space. We are astounded at just what we can only imagine that is within our body or within any living thing. You have made a big, big and a very small, small world. We thank you that you are connected to this world, that in Christ you are bringing all things to the purposes that you intend for them. And we say we want to be in, that we want to be a part of this, and we ask you to, to help us as we go through our lives, in school, in work, in relationships, that you will help us to see how you are gathering us up into Christ, that you will help us to act as Christ to others, and that you will help us to see the work that you're doing in those that are around us. 
We pray all this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.